Good morning, everyone. Good to be here. Good to open God's word again and to really listen to what it has to say for us. First of all, let us pray. Our Father, we just bow in your presence. Lord, we have been challenged by your word. You are the great and mighty one. You hold everything in your hands. You hold us in your hands. Lord, may our hearts be open to you. May our ears be open to you. Lord, may we hear you speaking to us today. The words that we need to hear today. For today is all we can be sure of. And Lord, we just seek your blessing in it. In the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. The title of our meditation today is God's Anointed Preacher. And we read about him speaking to us in Isaiah chapter 61 and in Luke chapter 4. So we'll read first of all from Isaiah 61, just the first verse and a portion of the second. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favourable year of the Lord. And then in Luke chapter 4, reading from verse 16, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favourable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Isaiah 61 is a prophecy. It's a prophecy about the coming one. And it proved to be God's Son, the Lord Jesus himself. It's interesting that it says in verse 20 that the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. 
what was it that was particularly significant that caused them to do that? Alfred Edersheim, in his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, indicates that in a Jewish synagogue on the Sabbath in those days, there would be three readings from the Old Testament scriptures. And each of those readings would be reasonably substantial, like in, in, in terms of the way our Bible is presented to us, a portion of, say, seven or so verses. But when the Lord Jesus stood up to read, first of all, the remarkable thing, he was able to take that scroll and open it and go exactly to where he wanted to read. But he didn't read seven verses. He read one verse and part of a second. And that's all he read. And then he sat down. And this startled the people. And you can read on from there in Luke as to what ultimately they did about it. But that's not our focus today. This anointed one, this Christ, we read about he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 1, reading from verse 32, John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained on him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, um, Peter in, said this, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9, there's a quote from Psalm 45, verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. So he's the anointed one. And in that, he declared himself to be the Christ. He declared himself to be the Messiah that, Isaiah, that Israel were looking to come and deliver them. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. We read in the Old Testament that the kings, the prophets, the priests that came to serve were anointed. 
but his anointing was different. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This was an anointing from above. This was a heavenly anointing. He has anointed me. He was consecrated. He was set apart, set apart for a task by anointing. He was anointed once for his earthly ministry. The tense of the verb that's used indicates this was a once for all anointing. He was anointed once at the beginning of his ministry and that anointing anointed him, anointed, carried him right through to the end. Psalm 23 is a mess in that messianic psalm, a psalm about the Messiah. And in verse 5 he says, you anointed my head with oil. Thomas Thayer, speaking, writing about this anointing, said it's an emblem of the divine power and majesty to which the Son of God has been exalted. Our Lord Jesus, when he came, he came to, to heal the five-fold damage that sin brings. First of all was poverty. He came to bring good news to the afflicted, good news to the poor. Secondly, there was sorrow. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. Third, there was liberty for the captives. He came to, he, he came to deal with the bondage that sin brings. And then there was suffering. The sin brings suffering. He came to recover sight to the blind. And finally, to free the prisoners, to deal with the oppression that sin brings. He didn't come just to bring deliverance, but to be himself our deliverance. He came from God. He was commissioned by God. And he had God's authority. So these five things that sin brings. First, he came to bring good news to the afflicted, to the poor. He came to preach the glad tidings. He came to declare the good news that there was deliverance. The poor, the spiritually destitute, have the gospel preached to them. Sin impoverishes and the Messiah brings good news to the poor. The good news was he himself coming to save. Second, he came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to deal with the sorrow that sin brings. Sin breaks hearts. And the Messiah has the good news for the brokenhearted. Those who are oppressed 
by a conqueror. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 20, once again talking about the Lord Jesus, it said that he, a battered reed he will not break. He didn't come to destroy, he came to build up, to lift up and to restore. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 39, there's an account of an evil spirit that mauled and crushed and bruised its desperate victim. The disciples were asked to cast it out and they couldn't. Only Jesus could drive it out. Jesus came to heal those permanently crushed and bruised by a once for all deliverance. In the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, on seven, there are seven separate occasions where Jesus is recorded as showing compassion. We're told that the number seven is, a seven is the number of perfection, the number of completion, the number of perfection. And he is the perfect and only one who can bring complete compassion. The third, to set at liberty those being oppressed. Sin actively oppresses its victims and the Messiah comes to bring liberty to the oppressed those victims of oppression. Those, the, the meaning behind this is that those who are broken in pieces, those who are shattered, those who are smitten through by others, the permanently downtrodden, those broken by calamity, Christ alone has the power to bring release. Sorry, I've jumped ahead one. <coughs> I should have done number four. Recovery of sight to the blind. And in this case, the, um, some of the students, modern students of the Bible, question whether this should be in Luke because it's not in Isaiah the recovery of sight to the blind. But it's Jesus himself who said it. And also when John the Baptist sent his um, disciples to ask Jesus if he was the one or should they look for another, he answered in this way. He said, go and report to John what you hear and see the blind received sight. The first indication that he was who he claimed to be was that he brought sight to the blind. Not just the physically blind, but the spiritually blind as well. Sin blinds permanently. It blinds us to the degradation of evil and it blinds us to the beauty of holiness. 
the God of this world blinds. It blinds us to the degradation that sin brings. Our world can't see the wrong that it's immersed in. Our parliamentarians bring forth laws and can't see that they are totally opposed to the word of God. They're blinded to the evil around them. And not only are they blind to the evil around them, but they're also blind to the beauty of holiness because to them the Bible is just another book. To them a Christian is just another person who looks like everybody else. The work that Christian organisations do is all very nice, but they don't see what's behind it. They don't see that it is a work of God. They're blinded to the beauty of holiness. And it's the God of this world that does that blinding. In Revelation 3 and 17, in the letter that Jesus dictated to John for the church of Laodicea, he said, do you not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? Only the Messiah comes with healing for our spiritual and moral blindness. And the sense of the word is to lift up the eyes, to look up, to look away from down here and look up. Look up, look away to Jesus, look away to the light of the world. And then once again we'll cover the fifth point, to set at liberty those being oppressed. They are worse than the captives. These ones are actually crushed and bowed down. And we see in our world today many like that. Some of the images that are coming out of Afghanistan. We've got cowboys walking around with a gun on their shoulder and other people cowering in fear. It's those broken in pieces, shattered, smitten through by others those permanently downtrodden, those broken by calamity, those held by drugs. And there are so many drugs today that are destroying our people. Methamphetamine. Just dreadful the effect it has. And only God, only Christ can deliver from that. Christ alone has the power to bring release. And then he went on to say to proclaim the favourable year of the Lord. He was to announce, he was announcing publicly with conviction the period of time of the Lord's favour. The Amplified Bible translates it this way, the day when salvation and the favour of God abound greatly. 
in the Jewish calendar, there was the year of Jubilee, the 50th year, when slaves were set free, when debts were cancelled, and when everything was set to a new beginning. You can read about that in Leviticus chapter 25. And Albert Barnes says this about it, the time when God is willing to receive sinners coming to him, the gospel assured us that the guilty may return and that God will graciously receive them. That year of Jubilee, that favourable year of the Lord is with us today. We call it the day of grace. Christians call it the day of grace. It's the day of God's favour shown to man. And so, what does this mean to us? If we are Christians, if we trust the Lord Jesus as our saviour, if we've committed our hearts and lives to him, it means we have hope. It means we have purpose and direction. We're not just living for today. We're not just hoping that we get by tomorrow. We have purpose and we have direction. We know where we're going. We know what's ahead of us. We know what's beyond the grave. And we have the promise of his presence. There is one who is with us, who stays closer than a brother. There's one who is our guide, counsellor and our helper and our companion. And we love him. We love him with all our heart, with all our mind and with all our strength. But we need to heed a warning because if we go back to Isaiah chapter 61 and read what Jesus didn't read. Hold on. He read to proclaim the year of the, the favourable year of the Lord they were expecting him to carry on and read and say, and the day of the vengeance of our God. But he didn't read that. That is part of his work. That is something that will, that will happen. There is a day coming, the day of the vengeance of our God, when he will deal with all the things that we've been talking about, all the oppression, all the hurt, all the harm, all the heartbreak. He will deal with all of that. But there is a day coming when the favour that we enjoy now will be withdrawn. And God alone knows when that day will be. We must not, we cannot, we dare not presume on God's grace. He has said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Salvation is available 
today. It's available one day at a time. It may not be available tomorrow. We don't know for sure what tomorrow holds. He longs to bless, but he will not wait forever. Today, today's all you can be sure of. God has extended the invitation and he wants you to act now. It is my fervent prayer that you do.